This is episode 48 of Beyond the Bulletin. Hello and welcome to episode 48 of Beyond the Bulletin. I'm Brandon Sweet, editor of The Daily Bulletin. And for Media Relations, I'm Pamela Smythe. We're coming to you from our homes where we're practicing physical distancing. Thank you for joining us as we go Beyond the Bulletin. Like we do every week, we'll talk about some of the top stories featured in the Daily Bulletin and look ahead to see what's on the horizon, both inside and outside Ring Road. Mostly outside Ring Road these days. We'll also take the opportunity to speak with people and personalities on campus about key issues that matter. Later on, I chat with Zahid Butt, a professor from the School of Public Health and Health Systems, about Ontario's new rules on social bubbles. Just warning, Brandon, I say the word bubble an awful lot in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of bubbles, I think both of us were in a vacation bubble last week. Uh, and Indeed. I hope, I hope that you had a good week off. I did. Thank you. I got lots done around my place. Despite the fact that I work from home, I seem to not be getting very much done around here. But yep. uh, I still did not finish the knitting project that I started in 2006. <laughs> oh, well, you know, give it time. <laughs> Brandon is a DJ, so he does a lot of recording at home. So he was rewiring his lair. Yes, the beat cave, as I call it. <laughs> well, other than that, here's what's been happening. This week, President Farid and Hamdalapur announced the formation of the President's Anti-Racism Task Force, or PART. PART is the next step in the university's commitment to strengthening diverse communities with a specific focus on anti-Black racism, anti-Indigenous racism, and other issues of racism on our campus. In the announcement, President Hamdalapur writes, It is clear to me now, after spending time engaging with the issues of anti-racism, particularly anti-Black racism, over the last two weeks, that we must build further on what we've been doing as a university to advance equity for Black, Indigenous, and people of color on our campus. End quote. If you would like to share your experience at the University of Waterloo with uh, PART, you are encouraged to email uh, part at uwaterloo.ca. Task force members will be informed about expressions of interest to participate, and someone will be in touch when the group is formed. As we mentioned, this, ta this task force is the latest development in the university's work to address racism on campus over the past two weeks. Uh, as mentioned in the previous episode of Beyond the Bulletin, the Human Rights Equity and Inclusion Office, or HREI, has announced various immediate and near-term commitments related to this work. One of these commitments was creating a space for Black campus community members to come together for support, collective care, and action. The event, called Black Lives Matter Here, takes place on June 19th from 2 to 4 p.m., in addition, HREI has shared an anti-racism resource page. It's a non-exhaustive list of resources intended to help students, faculty, and staff at the university develop a deeper understanding of anti-Black racism along with other forms of racism. As this week comes to a close, convocation celebrations are still underway. This past week, more than 6,400 of Waterloo's latest cohort of graduates were recognized through virtual celebrations in lieu of in-person ceremonies. These graduating students have received more than 6,700 degrees, diplomas, and certificates. This week, each graduate received an email from President Farid and Hamdalapur with a personalized video featuring senior university leaders to mark this exceptional moment in the lives of each graduating student and their families. Family members and friends of graduates, along with the entire U Waterloo community, shared their congratulatory messages online with stories, videos, and social posts. The videos, along with stories highlighting many graduating student achievements, can be found in the Daily Bulletin issues from this past week, as well as on the university's homepage and on the university's convocation website. 
Two of these graduating students will receive one of Canada's highest honours in academia, the Governor General's Gold Medal. For highest standing in a doctoral program, psychology PhD student Harrison Oakes, who also received a master's degree at Waterloo, is recognized for his accomplishments in the research on social environments that stigmatize concealable identities. You know, Harrison is a Vanier scholar. He got the Vanier Canada Graduate Scholarship. And he's, his research is actually on how homophobia can negatively affect everyone, regardless of their sexuality. Former master's student Joanne Marie Fitzgibbons from the Faculty of Environment is being celebrated for her explorations in the process and politics of planning for urban resilience. So congratulations to Harrison and Joanne. To learn more about these students and their research, you can find the full story in June 12th's Daily Bulletin. Roughly three months into lockdown here in Ontario, many of us in the campus community are learning to manage the new normal. Last week, the Daily Bulletin shared a story from a staff member in the School of Accounting and Finance. Miljana Prelich, a performance measurement analyst, shared her experience learning to adjust to the remote workplace with a toddler at home. It was a really popular story that day, and I'd encourage listeners to read it if you have the time. In it, Prelate shares some best practices she's implemented, challenges she's faced as a full-time employee and full-time mom, strategies for balancing work and family, tips for collaborating with colleagues, and thoughts on how COVID-19 will shape her work over the long term. And on the topic of managing the new COVID normal, another popular story in the Daily Bulletin was a Q&A about masks. Public health professor Narveen Jandu of the School of Public Health and Health Systems uh, explains the current guidance on whether to wear a mask in public or not. To summarize, the updated public health guidelines now recommend wearing a face covering during this COVID-19 pandemic. Face coverings are now recommended for use in the community setting where physical distancing might be challenging, such as in a grocery store or on public transit. An ideal face covering would be breathable, large enough to cover your mouth and nose, a good fit around the mouth and nose, by the way, easy to put on and take off, secure and durable, soft and comfortable, and at least two layers of material. It should maintain shape and integrity when wearing and while cleaning. It should also be low cost, low maintenance, washable and reusable with little to no waste. This Q&A article also addresses tips on how to handle your mask and things to consider when making your own mask. The article can be found in the Daily Bulletin from Thursday, June 11th. And if you'd like more detail, Narveen was our interview guest in episode 42. Always like that number 42. Why? Just, I, it's, again, we, we could go back into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy thing, but I won't, uh, I won't belabor the point. Wasn't that Jackie Robinson's number? Ah, wow. You're like, I, I want you on my trivia team. <laughs> I always said, Brandon, that when, if ever I'm on Millionaire, you're going to be one of my phone friends. Well, uh, right back at you. The Distinguished Teacher Awards for 2020 will be presented to four faculty members, according to a report submitted by the DTA Selection Committee at this week's meeting of the University's Senate. The recipients are Cynthia Richard, a lecturer in the Faculty of Science who's known for going above and beyond the call of duty. Lowell Ewert, an associate professor who is well known at the University of Waterloo for teaching others about the importance of peace and conflict studies and for bringing real-life scenarios, guest lecturers, and his own experience into the classroom. I have been a guest lecturer in that class, actually. Oh, uh, no kidding. Yes, talking about uh, how to speak to the media. And uh, Lowell was also an interview guest talking about math and peace on our podcast. That's right. 
Also on the list, Rajinder Pal, a professor in engineering who is well known for his enthusiasm, high level of knowledge, passion for teaching, and ability to make his lectures exciting and easy to follow. And Rick Marta, a lecturer in materials and nanosciences, academic advisor for the departments of chemistry and physics and astronomy. He's well known for his passion for teaching. Congratulations to all the award recipients. You can learn more about what makes each of these individuals a truly distinguished teacher in the Daily Bulletin for June 16th. The Ahmed and Mina Shakma Awards for Exceptional Teaching by a Student for 2020 will be presented to four student teachers this year. Jeff Casello, Associate Vice President Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs and Chair of the Selection Committee, provided the report to the University Senate on Monday, June 15th. The winners are uh, Dania Ebulail, a PhD candidate in the School of Optometry and Vision Science, who is recognized by students, peers, and faculty members for her teaching strategies, approachability, and dedication. Amy Chow, also a PhD candidate in the School of Optometry and Vision Science, is also recognized for her enthusiasm towards teaching and dedication to the scientific community. Dylan McChesney, a PhD candidate in philosophy, is recognized for his approachability, commitment to students' well-being, and engaging teaching methods. And Masa Torbica, a PhD candidate in English language and literature, is recognized by her students, peers, and faculty members for her ability to connect with students and her dedication to teaching and learning. Congratulations to the award recipients. You can learn more about what makes each of these individuals an exceptional student teacher in the Daily Bulletin for June 17th. Charmaine Dean, Vice President Research and International and Professor in Waterloo's Department of Statistics and Actuarial Science, has been named Fellow of the Institute of Mathematical Statistics, or IMS. Professor Dean is one of 35 fellowship winners in 2020. Professor Dean received the award for her scientifically important contributions to the analysis of count data, disease mapping, spatiotemporal data, and more, for her outstanding leadership to the statistical profession, her record of mentorship, and for her enormous work in keeping statistics visible at the center of science. Congratulations, Charmaine. Now, here's what's coming up. Information Systems and Technology has announced that the Office 365 Employee Email Migration Project is proceeding with a staged migration of the majority of employee emails to the Microsoft Office 365 cloud environment. Working closely with partners at Microsoft, IST has carefully assessed the requirements for the Office 365 deployment and has begun the work. More information on the migration project, including what to expect, the migration schedule, and support resources will be added to the Office 365 employee email migration website as this work continues. Now, you may recall that the student email migration is well underway with IST moving all existing at edu.uwaterloo.ca email accounts to the university's Office 365 domain. Uh, that's as of uh, April 27th. Uh, this includes undergraduates and alumni, in addition to some employees who may also have an at edu.uwaterloo.ca account. We've covered this back in episode 41, if it sounds familiar. That's right. We did, Pamela. Now, after April 27th, which is where we are right now, uh, all emails sent to an individual's uh, at edu.uwaterloo or at uwaterloo address will be delivered only to the new at uwaterloo account. So there's still time to migrate any email messages that you might have saved on your old at edu account uh, to your new uwaterloo account, and you can transfer files from your existing OneDrive to the OneDrive associated with the new uwaterloo account. And why are we reminding you about this? Well, this is Convocation Week, and as part of the virtual Convocation celebrations, each graduating student has been sent a personalized email from the president and the university's senior leaders. Now, some of those students who might be checking uh, out of habit their uh, at edu account rather than their uWaterloo account might have missed the memo, so to speak. Uh, 
So be sure to visit your new at uwaterloo account to receive the most up-to-date messages. Yeah, you wouldn't want to miss that. And tell the students you know, too, to make sure that they do that migration if they haven't already. Students having difficulty finding that email this week should check out the university's student email migration website for more information. And now, the interview. On June 12th, the Ontario government announced that most parts of the province would move into stage two of the opening up of the economy. A key component is the fact that it allows people to create social bubbles, allowing them to be closer to some family and friends than they have been in months. Professor Zahid Butt is an expert on the spread of infectious diseases and spoke to Pamela about what you need to know about creating and maintaining your social bubble. Thanks for joining me, Zahid. Hi, Pamela. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So first off, what is a bubble in this context? There are different terms being used nowadays for a for a bubble like social circles, bubbling or social bubbles. But by definition, you can think of a bubble or social circle as the people you can hug and touch or those who can become part of your daily and weekly routines. But one, one thing to consider is that everyone living in the same household as you is considered part of the social circle or bubble. So on on June 12th, the provincial government announced that people could create a bubble of no more than 10 people. Why would this be happening now? So it depends on the current uh, COVID-19 situation in in Ontario. There are fewer cases now, and we are seeing a flattening of the curve. The purpose of these bubbles is uh, basically to reduce social isolation so you can connect with your family and friends outside of your immediate household. Uh, It's also to uh, support the health and well-being of the people and allow families to uh, get support with childcare uh, or elder care. What do you think about the fact that there are 10 people who can be in the bubble together? That seems like a high number to me. Yeah, so, uh, you know, one of the things that you have to consider with a social bubble is that they can bubble together if they follow public Uh, health advice, which means that you have to physically distance from people that are not inside your bubble. And then you still have to follow other precautions like you frequently washing your hands or using hand sanitizer and wearing a mask in places where you cannot physically distance, such as grocery stores, pharmacies, or public transit. Another important thing is that you cannot join another bubble or social circle if you already joined one. For example, like I ask one of my friends to to become part of my social circle or bubble, so that that friend can only join one one bubble. For example, if another friend uh, of my friend asks him to join his social circle or bubble, then he cannot do that once he has joined my social bu- uh, social bubble. And once you're in there, you're in there. You can't yes. switch. Uh, no, you can't switch it until unless they uh, revise the bubble and say now you can have like 20 people inside the bubble. Uh, unless you, your friend and your friend's other friend are in yes. the same circle, unless they yes. say, hey, let's together join a, cir- a yeah. bubble. OK, yeah. but in other jurisdictions, they've had this this rule where it can only be one other household. So the I live alone. So I'm one household. I'm one household and I can only join one other household and that's it. So if that other household has one person, that's the end of my circle. We don't have that on Ontario. What is the significance of the fact that we don't have this two-household restriction? It depends on the current situation in Ontario. They could have followed other 
jurisdictions like two joining together two households like they did uh, in new brunswick uh, but here they they chose to start with like uh, 10 uh, people in a social circle so if in case if you have a household which has like four or five persons uh, you can you can add kind of like five more persons into it uh, and that would that would basically create your 10 people in one social circle or bubble Yeah, because if you're a household of five and you want to join a household of six, you can't. No, no, you can't. No. What about families with um, grand grandparents? So an adult who has children and they have an older parent, and let's say they have siblings as well. You'll have to clearly communicate at the beginning when you're you're starting to form a social circle that which person has to be included in the bubble and which person has to be. excluded uh, out of the bubble uh, and then you have to justify like why you're including and excluding people inside it so one of the things with elderly is that because they are at a high risk of uh, having severe disease and also uh, mortality due to uh, the coronavirus you have to be extra careful when if they want to join the social bubble because we don't want like uh, you know them getting the virus so in a sense you, they'll have to decide and then you have to uh, know about the risks uh, of joining a social bubble as well so you have to be clear in terms of explaining to people what are the risks and benefits on joining uh, joining the social circle or bubble what are the risks as you know with the current covid-19 situation is that there are many asymptomatic uh, cases in the in the community so one of the risks is that uh, if you're asymptomatic you don't uh, you don't get a test and and you don't even know that you have the virus so inviting people in uh, can result in transmission of the virus from you to the other people that are inside your social circle do you recommend then that before anybody enters a bubble with somebody outside of their household that they get a test so it's better to get a test but i i don't think that everyone uh, would really go out and do a test and then uh, and then ask people to join a social circle uh, another thing is that so because it might be earlier in the infection so your test might be negative and uh, it could be that later on you have the virus and you become Uh, infected in a way positive uh, test for the virus and then at that time you can still uh, infect people it's very complicated so it is it is complicated uh, but the purpose of the social circle or bubble is that it allows for some sort of uh, relaxation in, in terms and it provides benefit in terms of like reducing your social isolation and instead of opening the uh, opening the whole province together or or allowing people to meet it 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 allows you to meet a specific number of people the ontario government has said the social bubble police are not going to be knocking on our doors to make sure that we're bubbling with only you know up to 10 people yeah. including ourselves but let's say the number of cases increases after this if there is an outbreak then they might have to reverse and go back to stage 1 so it it depends on the in on the situation at that time another uh, advantage of social bubbling social circles is that the contact tracing is easier like for example even if you transmit the virus to another person and that person gets infected because it's a smaller number of people that you can trace you can you can actually do uh, contact tracing of people in a prescribed circle but you're still 
able to see other people grocery shopping, you're still pumping your gas, you're still out and about. So how does that, how does having a 10, having nine additional people in your bubble, other than you, how does that help with the contact tracing? You know, you still have to follow the physical distancing guidelines when you're out in the grocery stores. You still have to be careful when you're, uh, when you're pumping gas, you have to uh, you know, wash your hands or sanitize your hands after you do that. You still have to wear masks uh, in places where physical distancing is not possible, such as, as you mentioned, grocery stores, pharmacies, or public transit. In terms of uh, why it's easier, uh, for example, so you have a social bubble and you know who's inside that social bubble. So if you have the virus and then there's a spike in the new cases, then public health can ask you, okay, who else was there in the social bubble, in your social circle? So you can you can tell them, okay, so this this person was there, and then they can go and ask him and, and do testing, and that's how it's easier for, uh, for them to do contact tracing. It's really an exercise in trust, isn't it, when you enter a bubble with people? Yes, it is. You have to be careful. The other person persons uh, that are in the bubble, they have to be careful. They still have to follow the, the public health guidelines. Yeah, because I know people who, you know, they're single, they live alone, and they have nine other friends who are single and live alone. So they're going to be a bubble. Yeah, so I think it has to do with uh, with the criteria that once you join a circle, uh, one social circle, you cannot join any other social circles. Otherwise, it just defeats the purpose of having a social bubble or circle. So, so everyone has to be responsible, and they have to stay within that uh, within that social circle, and then they have to uh, once they are outside the circle, they have to follow the uh, the public health guidelines around uh, prevention of coronavirus, or just stay uh, kind of like I would say socially isolated as they were before. So it depends. Yeah. It yeah. Depends. If somebody so, in my circle does that. They're on the outs. Well, sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? You know, no, no, that's right. No, that's true. Yeah. So it, you know, it has to. You have to explain to them these things. You have to explain why you're doing this social circle bubbling, what are the risks attached to it, and what are the benefits that you have when you join a social circle or bubble? I think it'd be great for a lot of people who are on their own. No, yes, definitely, because uh, if you don't have your family members or relatives with you, uh, you're alone, and and then it might be um, beneficial for students as well, like, for example, if if they want to study together, uh, so you can form a social circle or bubble. Uh, I don't think like it, it, people want to study with 100 other people. So in, in those terms, 10 is a good number to say. Like uh, it's good, like you could have 10 of your other colleagues to, uh, nine of your other colleagues to join you. So within that social circle. Right. You can just be in that one circle. I anticipate a number of very uncomfortable conversations over Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or holiday dinners, whenever we can get back together again. So I would say it's kind of like prioritizing those people who need the social connections the most. And in in this case, it's basically the elderly and our parents or grandparents that, that they may feel more socially isolated than than the rest. But it would depend on you, like uh, in uh, in terms of like who would like to be uh, part of the social circle uh, and bubble, uh, keeping in view the risks. We've been home for a couple of months. A lot of us have been at home for a couple of months. Why is it significant that uh, this is happening now, this bubbling announcement? I just love saying bubbling so much. Yeah, so uh, uh, so uh, you have to think of it as kind of uh, uh, like a pandemic fatigue where you have people who are cooped inside their homes 
uh, they want to go out. And, and then if you look at Canada, you have long winters and short summers. So people want to go outdoors. They, they want to do certain activities. Uh, they want to enjoy the weather. So And obviously, they need some sort of social connection, which is associated with that. So these bubbles, uh, they, they pro- do provide that sort of social connection that, that people need. Pandemic fatigue. Yes, so it's kind of like you know you're you're just sick and tired of staying at home and yeah, not going out and not meeting people. So maybe uh, it was it was smart to do it at this time, not only because of the flattening the curve, but because of people would do it anyway. Yeah, so you could see you could see that uh, if people don't follow physical distancing, you could see that there is a spike of cases. There have been. Uh, instances in which parks have been opened and then uh, there were a lot of people there in the parks who did not follow physical distancing and other public yes. health guidelines. So if, so in terms of that, this, this can help in uh, alleviating your social is- uh, isolation. You know, we have to decide on going to stage three now as well, like once you're in stage two. So you cannot just stay stuck in stage two as well. You have to go to stage three. Right. And then once you're in stage three, then you go to the fully no- normal status like before. Oh, so what would happen in stage three? According to, uh, you know, public health guidelines in Ontario, for stage three, you have your workplaces are going to open so but they, but responsibly which means that they still have to follow uh, some of the workplace safety guidelines and public health guidelines if they open um, and i i believe that uh, probably they're also going to open uh, the libraries for stage 3 opening so some of the restrictions are going to be uh, going to be relaxed uh, they might even increase the number of uh, people that that can gather together so the number of people in a public gathering but they are not allowing concerts or sporting events so like large gatherings what else do we need to know zahad so i just want to stress the fact that you have to stay true to your social circle and bubble so that's an important point to consider when you're joining a social circle that once you join a social circle you stay in the social circle and not join any other social circles. Got it. Thank you so much for clarifying this for us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Pamela. Thanks for having me. Well, that about wraps it up for us this week. You can find additional information and links about the items we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes on soundcloud.com. To ensure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the Beyond the Bulletin podcast there or wherever you get your podcasts and recommend us to your colleagues. Yes, please do. And keep washing your hands with soap and water and practice physical distancing of at least two meters, unless the people are in your social bubble. That's right. You can get in touch with us via email at bulletin at uwaterloo.ca. Thanks for listening as we went beyond the bulletin. I kind of feel like I was in training for this whole social distancing. I'm trying to count, you know, oh, who'd be in my, who's, who's in my social bubble? And I'm like, rut row. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I I honestly don't, haven't noticed much of a difference.